understand this, Satan is not just into paganism and blatant idolatry. He's not just trying to get people to fall down in front of a rock or a stone. Instead, he is very much involved in perverting the true gospel and distorting the true Christ. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Have you ever had someone in your life who desperately wanted to hurt you and who you really believed was willing to do so? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 9 of Learning to Use God's Armor. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, looking at the reality that you are locked in a spiritual war with an enemy who would absolutely love to destroy your soul. And he does so often through false teaching. But take courage, believer, to spiritually survive the war in which you'll find yourself. Your mind can be thoroughly equipped for battle through the sword of the Spirit, God's and the sufficient and infallible Word. What about you, friend? Do you know Scripture well enough to endure spiritual attacks? Are you prepared? Keep those questions in mind as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. If you've been a part of our church any time at all, you know that for coming to Countryside some seven years ago this fall, for 16 years I served in Southern California, the land of granola, all those who aren't fruits and flakes or nuts, as they say about California. I served there as a part of Grace Community Church, a large inner city church, and it was my joy to be there. I learned so much and was so heavily influenced by the ministry of the Word and the life of the church that I saw there. The time there also occasionally brought its challenges. On a couple of occasions, while I was at Grace, I received physical threats against me. There was someone who sufficiently disliked what I had told them that they sincerely wanted to hurt me. In one case, the man even threatened to take my life. Because I didn't think at the time that it was a credible threat, I didn't bother sharing it with Sheila, which later got me in some trouble. That week, the following Sunday, I wasn't slated to teach in our Sunday school class that I shared, as I mentioned earlier, with a couple of other men, including Doug Bookman. And so when I had finished leading the, leading the music, which I did each week in that class, I came and sat down um, next to my wife. And I was sitting there, and a few minutes later, Sheila happened to glance down the row. And at the end of the row, there was seated an off-duty police officer in a suit. You say, how, do, how did she know it was an off-duty police officer? Well, we have a number of officers in our church, and I'm sorry, but you can just tell. And when she saw the earpiece and him talking into his sleeve, she figured either, you know, this man had a serious personal problem or he was on duty with security that weekend. And she began to put it together, and a few seconds later it connected, and she leaned over and whispered to me, she said, Tom, is, is he here for some reason because he needs to be near you? And I had to tell her, yes, I'd gotten a threat that week and even a death threat. And, you know, she, uh, she wasn't real happy with me for having held that piece of information to myself. 
The story didn't finish, however, that particular story didn't finish until a couple of years after I moved to Texas. The man who made those threats against me and who I really didn't think was a serious threat, as it turns out, was, he ended up shooting his best friend, barricading himself in his apartment, and the LAPD SWAT team bulldozed the front door of his apartment and rushed in, stormed the apartment to see if they could save the man who'd been shot. At that moment, the man turned his gun upon himself and died instantly. When you have an enemy who hates you and wants to destroy you, it can be a little unsettling. Let me ask you, have you personally had that kind of experience? Have you ever had an enemy who desperately wanted to hurt you and who you really believed was willing to do so? If you're a Christian, the answer to that question is yes. What we're learning from Ephesians chapter 6 is that there is an enemy of your soul, of every individual Christian who absolutely hates you with an utter hatred and who would absolutely love to destroy your soul. And he will stop at nothing until he has accomplished that goal. Satan's goal for every Christian, for every Christian sitting here this morning, is to undermine your faith. And if he can't undermine your faith, it is to prevent your growing into real likeness to Jesus Christ. As we're learning from Ephesians 6, we are in a war. Listen, the Christian life is not a bed of roses. It's not a fairy tale existence. You are locked in a war with an enemy that would absolutely love to destroy your soul. We don't think like this, but Paul wants us to know we better start thinking like this. If we're going to spiritually survive the war in which we're engaged, then we better go to boot camp. We better go to the boot camp of Ephesians 6 and learn, as Paul teaches us here, how to prepare for the battle. Let me read this text for you. Ephesians chapter 6, very familiar passage. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The paragraph goes on, verses 18 to 20 as well. The theme of this paragraph is in the war of the Christian life, we can only stand firm in the strength of Christ and in the armor of God. We're just looking at the first four verses. And in the first four verses of this section that I just read for you, 
Paul helps us understand our orders. We're in a battle. What are our orders? Well, the overarching command comes in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In the beginning of verse 11, put on the full armor of God. That's what you need to do. To what end? What's the objective? Verse 11 goes on to say, put on the full armor of God so that, here's the objective, you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. As we've discovered together, the Greek word translated schemes here is the word from which we get our English word method. In light of the sort of military image of this whole passage, the best way to translate this word may be tactics or strategies. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul tells us not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes, his tactics, his strategies. And so that's what we're trying to do. Paul's audience, he was in this church for a number of years, would have understood what Satan's tactics are. We need to get up to speed. And so we are looking at Satan's tactics or Satan's strategies against believers so that we understand why it is we need to put on the armor of God. Now, Satan's strategies against believers are extremely diverse. There's no way we could cover them all or all that the Scripture has to say about them. So what I've tried to do is sort of pull all of the, the scriptural data together and synthesize his tactics into three primary strategies or three primary tactics that Satan uses against us. I haven't given you all three of these yet. Let me give them to you, and we're just going to finish up with the first one today. The three strategies he primarily uses against believers, number one, he attacks the Word of God. Number two, he intimidates with fear and persecution. That isn't as common for us who live here in America as it is for our brothers and sisters who live in other places in the world. Someday it might become more common for us. The third tactic that Satan uses, and this is universally true, and Lord willing we'll talk about this next week, is he entices with external temptations. He entices us into sin with external temptations. Now last time I was with you, we began to look at just the first of these tactics of Satan to sabotage the spiritual health of Christians, and that is he attacks the Word of God. And we discovered that this is really his chief strategy with Christians and with the church. And we discovered that he carries out this attack on the Word of God in several ways. Last time, we discovered four ways that he carries out this relentless attack on the Scripture. Number one, by denying or questioning the truthfulness of Scripture. He started that way in the Garden of Eden, and that has continued to be his approach. A second way he attacks the Word of God is by questioning the sufficiency of Scripture. He's happy for Christians to have the Bible as long as they will add something else that undermines its effectiveness in their life. Number three, he attacks the Word of God by perverting the meaning of Scripture. He gets 
people to distort what the Scripture really means so that they think they're embracing the Bible, but in fact, they're embracing something else. And the meaning of the Scripture is the Scripture. You take it out of its context, you twist it, you distort it, it's not the Scripture anymore. It's something else. A fourth way we discovered that he attacks the Word of God is by promoting our disobedience to the Scripture. We saw this with the church in Revelation where he encouraged Christians to embrace that that the Scripture forbids. Now today, I want us to look at just one more way Satan accomplishes this first strategy of attacking the Word of God. We want to take all of our time together today to look at this fifth way he attacks the Bible. Number five, Satan attacks the Word by distorting the true Christ and corrupting the true gospel. By distorting the true Christ and corrupting the true gospel. So we begin our time, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The church in Corinth was absolutely ripe for this approach of Satan, this tactic of Satan. They fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And Paul writes 2 Corinthians, urging them to believe him, to embrace him, and to turn from the faults. He begins in 2 Corinthians 11 to defend his apostleship, which the false teachers had brought into question. And he says to them, I'm going to do this, but it's going to appear foolish. Verse 1 of chapter 11, I wish you would bear with me in a, bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. And here's why I'm going to do this, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. As Doug reminded us last week in the illustration of marriage, when we came to Christ, when you were saved, you were betrothed to Christ. Now our husband, as it were, is preparing a place in the Father's house for us, and someday He will return and receive us to Himself as His bride, and will take us back to the Father's house, and will follow the wedding and the wedding feast. That's the image of the New Testament. Paul says to the Corinthians, I betrothed you to Christ. You embraced Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're waiting for Him to return. I want to present you to Him a pure virgin, but there's a problem. I am afraid, verse 3, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so immediately we understand Satan is involved in this strategy, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. How does this happen? Verse 4. For, here's why I'm concerned about it, if one comes and preaches to you, this is the church in Corinth, folks, okay? We're dealing with a real church that Paul was intimately involved in, if one comes and preaches another Jesus, in other words, he talks about Jesus, he says he loves Jesus, just like you love Jesus, you really believe in the same Jesus, but it's a different Jesus than the one you learned about from me, Paul says. Or you receive a different spirit which you have not received. In other words, it's not the Holy Spirit that it's influencing all this, it's a demonic spirit or a different gospel which you have not accepted. 
a different way of salvation, a different good news, you receive this or you bear this beautifully. So here comes somebody along and they are presenting to you a distorted Jesus under the influence of not the Holy Spirit, but an evil spirit and a different way of salvation, a different gospel. And Paul says, and you're buying it. Now, with that in mind, he begins to tell them, look, the reason I didn't take any financial support from you is because the false teachers there in Corinth were, as they always are, after money. They wanted your money. They were after, and false teachers are always this way, they are motivated either by power or by money and greed or by sexual favors from women. And this is what motivated these false teachers in Corinth. And Paul shows that to be true as he works his way through this letter. And he says, because of that, I didn't let you support me because I wanted to draw a clear line between those false teachers, those false apostles, and the true. Now, verse 12. After he says that and develops that, he says, but what I am doing, I will continue to do. In other words, I'm going to continue not to let you support me so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. In other words, I don't want them to be able to say they're the true apostles and look, we're just like Paul. Paul says, no, I don't want your money because I don't want to be connected to them. For, here we get to the heart of it, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Here were men in Corinth claiming to be true apostles and attacking Paul. They came with a different Jesus. Oh, it sounded like the same Jesus, but it was a different Jesus, and with a different gospel. And the Corinthians were buying it. They disguise themselves as the real thing. Verse 14, no wonder, this shouldn't surprise us, for even Satan disguises himself as, as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising, underline this, if his servants, the false teachers are the servants of Satan, if they also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Listen, understand this, Satan is not just into paganism and blatant idolatry. He's not just trying to get people to fall down in front of a rock or a stone. Instead, he is very much involved in perverting the true gospel and distorting the true Christ. In fact, verse 14 says he transforms himself into an angel of light. What does that mean? It means he disguises himself as a messenger of truth. That's what he did in the garden, and he's been doing it ever since. And so do his servants. Pawns he uses to accomplish this in the lives of others. So why does he do this? Well, not only does he do it, as we discovered from 2 Corinthians 4, 4, to keep unbelievers blinded to the truth of the gospel. He comes up with this false Jesus and false gospel to keep unbelievers in spiritual blindness, but he also does it to confuse believers and to sabotage the growth and spiritual health of those who are truly Christ's own. In fact, look, look at Ephesians. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, you remember this passage? 
Ephesians chapter 4, after Paul says, here's how the church works. God's given, Christ has given gifted men to the church to teach you, to equip you to do the work of service. And when all that works, the church grows. Here's why it's so important. Verse 14, Ephesians 4. As a result, when all that works the way it's supposed to work, we are no longer to be children. And here's what spiritual children are like. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And where do these doctrines come from? Trickery of men who are crafty in deceitful scheming. They have deceitful schemes, they're crafty, they're subtle. They have a plan to lighten your wallet and to get the power they want. Now how does this happen? How does Satan go about corrupting the true gospel and distorting the true Christ? Listen carefully. By raising up false teachers who connect themselves to the people of God. This is how Satan works. He raises up false teachers who connect themselves to the people of God and who look like the real thing, but they aren't. This part of Satan's strategy permeates the entire Bible. In the Old Testament, there were often false prophets among the people who taught the people, this is what God says, listen to God. But it wasn't God's message at all. There's so many places we could go in the Old Testament. Let me take you to the most famous, Jeremiah 23. Turn to Jeremiah 23. Here, Jeremiah denounces the false prophets of his time. He begins in verse 9, but let's start down in verse 14, because his primary prophecy is against the prophets of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 23, 14, Also among the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and the walking in falsehood. Watch this. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and are inhabitants like Gomorrah. Here, the false teachers, they don't confront people with their sin. They don't urge them to repentance. Everything's okay. God loves you anyway. Verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying, this is key verse, verse 17, they keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, calamity will not come upon you. There is the heart of their message. They are happy to tell people who don't have a right relationship to God, who've not repented of their sins, that everything is fine between them and God. It's going to be okay. He goes on to say that he's going to bring his wrath like a hurricane, verses 19 and 20. Verse 21, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. If they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part nine of his series, Learning to Use God's Armor. Tom will have part 10 for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, Tom, how are we to resist false teachers today? You know, Bill, I think Paul answers that question so beautifully and profoundly in a passage that I preached through just a couple of years ago as I finished a seven-year journey through the book of Romans at my church. In Romans 16, verses 17 to 20, I preached a brief series entitled Wolves in Shepherd's Clothing. I would encourage you, if you have the opportunity, to go and and to listen to that series and, and learn how today we can identify and how we can respond to and resist false teachers and false teaching. It's so important that we understand there are enemies that Satan has placed within the confines of the larger church community to lead people astray. We need to be on guard. We need to be able to identify and to resist that false teaching. That's my prayer for you, friend, that God would bring you back to the Scriptures to see what He has said in His Word. Thanks, Tom. And friend, church leadership can often seem like hazardous duty. Leaders can have both mountaintop experiences and seasons of discouragement. How can you, as a leader of Christ's church, faithfully respond to the different perspectives on leadership and the trials and triumphs of ministry? In Tom Pennington's book, Faithful Stewards, Tom identifies three key perspectives on church leadership that can help you maintain spiritual stability in ministry. Purchase your copy of Faithful Stewards today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.